yeah, it's not about becoming like woke to the truth. Like, I can't tell you what the truth is. It's like, can you just become awake to your own thing? Like to critical thinking, to, to thought provoking questions, instead of just being completely complacent and just trusting that everything is being done for your best interest. Just take a pause and just like watch what's already happened. Watch what's happening right now. And just ask yourself if there is reason to worry or to get involved in another way. Hey, my name is Zach, and this is the Plaid Jacket Philosopher, the podcast for tradespeople and the blue-collar middle class. I'm open to punch a few holes in the stereotypes that surround blue-collar workers and hopefully share a lot of the stories behind how we got into our line of work and the honest joy you can get from working outside of the office space. The plan is to mix in interviews as well as some solo stories from job sites, fatherhood, and personal experiences that led me to where I am today. Some will be funny, some will be personal, but hopefully any and all content here can help broaden what your opinion is of the blue-collar middle class. So, all right, everybody, welcome back to another week. Um, this week, I'm pretty excited to have a new guest on for you. Today, I've got Carla, and we're going to be discussing the idea of the tipping point and kind of what's been going on societally within Canada, across Canada. And so, anyway, I'll uh, I'll give you the floor and let you introduce yourself. How's it going, Carla? I'm good. Thank you. Um, yeah, I came here to have this talk with Zach after I uh, listened to a few of his podcasts that uh, really got my brain thinking about what was going on in Canada. And I am an integrated life coach. Um, I have a psychology background. Um, I work with many clients in the mental health realm, dealing with anxiety and depression. Um, I'm also a writer and a blogger. Well, that's great. So you, you are, you're pretty accustomed to kind of what people's anxieties are. Have you, have you noticed anything else coming kind of through this, this pandemic or an increase? And what have you noticed? Two things. One, um, originally there was an increase in anxiety for sure. Uh, I got a lot of new clients dealing with depression, dealing with anxiety. There was also an interesting shift later where um, a lot of people found a lot of jewels in this pandemic, you know, they quit their job, they decided to not go back to their job, they're working at home now, and they're slowing down and um, shifting from being like extroverts to being introverts and staying in their home and actually just enjoying that. So um, there's been some jewels to it, for sure. I found I found myself in, in that second group as well, like, hey, it's actually pretty nice to stay home here. This is this is really easy. Yeah. So those would be the two biggest things I saw. That's interesting because that's that's one aspect that I haven't had the luxury of experiencing just because I'm I'm a service worker. I'm in trades. Um, you know, I, I remember kind of the biggest brief jewel that I saw was uh, when the initial lockdowns went into place. I could drive from my house in the Fraser Valley into Chilliwack in about 50 minutes, which normally takes me two hours plus in traffic because there was nobody out there. So that, that was kind of my my jewel that I experienced amidst all this. So um, you had actually sent me an article that you had written kind of after, I'm assuming that you had listened to the podcast because then you had reached out to me and we'd started discussing this stuff. But you had discussed the idea of the tipping point and you particularly kind of we're talking about the switch that you were talking about and what uh, just different tipping points that people may experience or what what may get people to start questioning a few things here. Mm -hmm. I wrote the tipping point uh, based on Malcolm Gladwell's book after I experienced a substantial shift in my perspective of how the pandemic was being handled by our government 
Um, and before you turn off this podcast, we're not talking about uh, vaccines here, but um, I went into this whole situation with the thought and idea that my government has my best interests in mind. And I went along with it. And my husband in the beginning had a lot of questions. And he's he's a contractor. He's a hunter. He's, he's a pretty simple guy, but he's really, really smart. And he was like, you know, a, a lot of the stuff like it's dumb. It's just dumb. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Do you recognize the very realness of the pandemic itself? But it was the measures he was questioning. And I found myself um, just so angry at him for that opinion. I was like, I don't even want to hear it. This is dumb. And like a little part of my brain said, like agreed with that, but I wouldn't allow it to think because I was like, they're just trying to figure it out. I have the belief that they have my best interests in mind. I feel bad for the government. You know, they're, they're just scrambling. They're just trying to think on their feet. The information is evolving, especially in the beginning. We didn't really know what this was. And for the longest time, like most of this pandemic, I was that way with everybody else. If I even thought for a second that someone was about to talk about something counter to the narrative, whoop, my wall was up. I don't want to hear it. Like, I apologize people out there, but I was like, they're, they're really dumb. I, at one point I even said, like when people were saying this was an infringement of their rights and freedoms, I said, how privileged is that? I feel so bad that I thought that then, but that's what I thought. How privileged are you that you think your rights and freedoms are being taken away? You know, these people are just trying to protect you. You just have to wear a mask. No big deal. I was right there with everybody else, got my vaccine. Um, I was like, no, this is just what we have to do. I'm sure it's not good for me. It's probably not good for me, but you know, I've done a lot of other bad things to my body. So, you know, whatever. So I just went along with it. And then one day um, my daughter came home from school and she said that the health unit had been there and they told the kids or might've been the teachers told the kids that they did not require any kind of parental consent for them to get vaccinated. And just something in my brain like kind of snapped. And I thought that is really strange because I have signed 15 consent forms so far this year from everything from riding the bus to eating a cupcake to can they have peanut butter can they walk off school property but there's i don't need to consent for them to get a medical procedure Mm -hmm. and i contacted them and they said yes that's their policy and they said as long as the child has informed consent as, as long as the child understands their risks and i argued with them right away and i just said you know we don't, adults don't understand our risk. You think my 12 year old does? Mm-hmm. The, I just pulled a bowl of pasta out from under her bed with four inches of mold on it. You yeah. think she understands contraindications to her health from vaccines? Yeah. Absolutely not. And that, that started my uh, look at, at this whole situation and And it's been exhausting because there's a lot of um, poor information, misinformation on both sides, both sides. There's very good doctors and scientists on both sides. So eventually you kind of end up in this awkward place in between where you just have to pick a side. Um, Now, what the tipping point is, the article that I wrote is based on all the things that I've discovered 
things that are real, things that have already happened. These are not conspiracies. I'm not going to go into the what ifs because the what ifs is a, is a deep and dark hole. But there are many things that our government has gone ahead and done that are deeply disturbing, that are not conspiracies that you can find on the CDC, on the Canada government website, on CBC, on the mass media. It's already happened and it's it's really scary. And there are these creeping authoritarian measures that are happening at such tiny little incremental steps that we don't even notice anymore how bizarre they are, how out of place they are. Also paired with some very confusing steps. And that's what rang true. And this is why I contacted you at that um, piece that you read from they thought they were free. This is what they did when they tried to control a large group of people. You make tiny little steps. You make some of them very, very confusing. So people kind of get lost. Uh, like, like let's take, for example, like the vaccines, all of a sudden just like changing their name. Like why? Like it just kind of keeps people busy thinking about this step and not really noticing like the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. I tend to agree. And I just wanted to echo kind of before we go down this path is that I had the same initial response to everything. I think a lot of it had to do with um, fear. You know, I personally, I was petrified of COVID at the very beginning. I was, you know, I was borderline OCD in regards to sanitizing everything. Like for me, the biggest fear was always at gas pumps because, you know, I'm driving around and I'm fueling up my truck all the time. And uh, for me, particularly, like I could not figure out, like I had gloves, I had sanitizing spray. I was trying to sanitize everything. Then I get back in the truck, sanitize again. I was really afraid at the beginning. Like, I'm not going to lie. And, you know, that kind of led me to the same belief of, all right, well, this is clearly way too big for me to even think about or handle. Like the government is going to take care of it. We're going to be able to, to get through this, but you know, it was scary. And that was kind of the, that was my initial response to it too, for the first few months. I mean, you started hearing numbers that we could be looking at 10% 10% fatality, even 5% fatality. And that was terrifying to me. And, uh, you know, immediately I thought of my kids. And so I'm, I was the one who was out of the house working and I was being exposed to the public and everything. So I was really paranoid about sanitizing everything before I came into the house. And then I had the same response as well. You know, when people were talking about their freedoms being trampled on in regards to masks, I shook my head. I'm like, really like you know i i work in construction if i'm in a hazardous area with a lot of dust i'm wearing a mask for eight hours a day you know like i can yeah. still go in and out of everywhere that it it does not bother me that kind of stuff it, it didn't bother me still to this day to be honest doesn't bother me that much but um but where my turning point came or my tipping point was kind of the realization of the mandates again nothing to do with the vaccines that I, I'm totally fine with that. You know, everybody should have the right to be comfortable moving about life. That, that's fine. But uh, when it came down to the mandates, that's where I kind of started going like, hold on, let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit here. Like this, just, this just didn't feel right. Something in my intuition kind of clicked at that point. And then I kind of went down the same path that you did. It's once you start looking at all these different conflicting things and conflicting arguments and you're like, hold on, like there's a lot more to this, I think, than, than I originally realized. Or then, like you said, in all the mainstream media from the CBC to the National Post to Global, you're reading about all these steps that the government is taking in real time. And you start to, you know, a few red flags started to pop up for me anyway. And I, I think, you know, when we connected last week, just discussing this, like I, 
I kind of mirrored your experience in the way that I went through this. It wasn't that I came into this with a hardline approach. It's just more as things have gone along, certain things have kind of, you know, they've, uh, they've just set off some alarms internally for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The news has been pretty wild. Like that first year in particular, we only heard the one narrative, but also there was no other news about anything that first year. Did you notice like the first non COVID thing I saw on the news was when there was a mass shooting on the East coast of Canada. Yep. And it was really exciting. Like uh, something else was reported and every single news station was the exact thing. And just like politics, like if there's like an election, if there's a big problem, I would say that this is our biggest problem. And never did we see like a panel of experts discussing things. Well, we're also trying this treatment or we're also trying this approach or, you know, there's 7 billion people in the world and we're going to need different medical approaches for some groups of people. No, one solution, one answer, one problem, no other story. And I was, do all these new stations like agree? I, I can't imagine um, that like that was a big red flag. Mm-hmm. And then when we look at censorship, censorship is a huge issue during all of that, like chaos and fear. Trudeau very quietly passed that censorship bill. I believe it's C10, which um, allows them to kick anyone off of media that they don't agree with. So when I was on the side that they're trying to protect us, I went along with it. I was like, yeah, you know, it makes sense. It makes sense. They're trying to handle a pandemic. It makes sense that they need to control the narrative. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go with that. So if you only watch that media and you only have one story, you might get glimpses of like a, a mad scientist who disagrees, right? If you only watch that narrative, you probably believe there's only like three or four people that disagree, right? Everybody agrees. That's all I hear. Yeah. When if you look at all, you'll realize it's hundreds of thousands of people don't agree. The mm. very best doctors, immunologists, nurses, like Do you know that in Ottawa, 17,000 nurses over that number, they are ready to leave because they disagree, not even leave. They're they're about to get fired. (laughs) They're about to get fired. That's a lot of smart people. I bet if you've gone to nursing school, you're probably pretty smart Um, doctors as well. So the only thing that I'm looking at with like that censorship, um, like I, I sent an article to friends um sorry it was a video it was a video of a doctor in parliament so from a good source in parliament in ottawa um expressing his concerns and you know my friend said oh well he's been discredited and i said okay find me one doctor or scientist who simply asks questions that are against the common narrative who hasn't been discredited Mm -hmm. smeared canceled, kicked off of every channel, that, that's a red flag to me. That, that seems strange that we're not allowed to ask questions. No questions allowed. That, that does seem strange, especially with the concept of science of where you're trying to disprove theories, right? Like the, the whole idea behind it is, you know, the community comes together and tries to disprove and, and glean out one path, one, one way forward. And I agree with you when there's absolutely zero dissenting opinion that is put out there in the mass media it 
it is a red flag. It's kind of, it's scary. And that point that you made is, is very accurate point, point to one person, one doctor, one virologist, one, whatever class or whatever um, certification they have point to one of them that hasn't been discredited after speaking out about this. And Mm. that's alarming. And you're right. It comes right in hand to hand with uh, bill C10 levied down by the government. And you know, like this stuff is all, it's happening right before our eyes, which to me is again, Mm. kind of the, kind of the, the alarming part about it. And I know that we're going to get into um, more of the idea of mass psychosis and, and all of that stuff, but it's just, it's interesting to see how this stuff is unfolding right before our eyes. And they're getting, it's quite frankly, getting more blatant. I mean, two days ago, the National Post posted a story about how um, the military saw this as a great opportunity to test their, um, what what exactly did they, they title it as? But it was something yeah. about, you know, mass, mass uh, media control. And they, mm-hmm. they, they're openly talking about this now. Yeah. And to me, like, you know, the, again, these are all red flags that I'm starting to see more and more now, but it's, it's right in front of our eyes. And I, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm kind of at a loss as well as to, you know, why, why more people aren't seeing these and at least asking questions, just, just that that's all it takes really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we'll probably get canceled on this podcast just for asking questions, just asking questions, not yeah. facts, not state. I, I'm not even going to pretend I, I know. I'm not going to say I know what's going on. I know that vaccines are a good or bad choice. I'm not going to say that. I'm I'm just open to asking these questions and listening. And, and that's really the big problem. No one's asking questions. No one's asking questions anymore. Like the fact that on a regular new source now, the National Post, the military can say, hey, guys, we saw this as an excellent opportunity to use our media propaganda to control the population. No one cared because we've been in this so long. If that happened first, you all would be freaking out. And then I sent you another article from the National Post saying, well, like, since you guys aren't taking your vaccines, we're going to start putting them in the food supply. (laughs) No one's alarmed. No one. Seems totally normal. It's, it's mind boggling to me. I mean, again, like even, even uh, alluding back to what you had talked about, about the 17,000 nurses and doctors potentially Mm -hmm. being fired. I remember when this news first started to come out about the mandates and uh, for example, the BC nursing union, uh, they're one of the biggest nursing unions in, uh, in British Columbia. Um, But they put out a stance saying that basically, you know, if we're in the middle of a pandemic, like what is more important? Are we going to allow all these healthcare workers to walk off? despite the fact that they've faced the last 18 months without their vaccines and they've been going through this day in, day out. And uh, so do we need all hands on deck or are we able to lay off all these people without pay? Like, what is it? The the two narratives don't really go hand in hand. The very next day, abruptly, the president of the BCNU stepped down, citing personal reasons. Mm -hmm. Again, this is reported right in Global, CBC, the National Post, and there's no questions. And I, I even just I even just posted a comment on Facebook, which I try not to do because it, it, it just, it's a dumpster fire. Right. But but underneath this article, I said, well, you know, doesn't this raise different questions if if nurses are willing to walk off the job for this? And I mean, I got a ton of likes on it. And but the responses were just vile. Like it was just like, who are you? Who, who How dare you ask that question? Like, you're just going to be feeding oh, yeah. the other side. I'm like, I, I just I'm just posing a question. It's literally the exact same question that the, the president of the union asked. Like, mm-hmm. can, can we not just think about this for a second? 
And that's interesting because that started um, early on in the pandemic the social media controlling people in a way where you are not allowed to ask questions, not even about the pandemic, mm -hmm. about social justice, about all sorts of issues. That's when we started with cancel culture, right? If you ask questions, you will be canceled. There no longer is dialogue, which that that's not a democracy. That's not the Canada that I know. I, I believe in conversation um, because if you don't actually speak the truth if you don't speak about problems if you like want to sweep problems underneath the carpet then we actually never really get solutions so there's a way that we can be engaged in conversation with people that have completely different opinions as us mm -hmm. um, and collectively create solutions but only if someone is willing to speak the truth and present the facts but that is no longer allowed in our culture clearly. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I I could not echo that louder if I tried. Like I've had I've had uh, different different topics of discussion on the podcast before, and that was my exact point. It's like if we want to get to the truth, you can't. And the other thing too about you know even even as far as um, hate speech or whatever, even just the term freedom of speech, people always associate it's a negative opinion that freedom of speech protects, which of course it is. The only reason why you would need freedom of speech is if it is a message that is coming counterculture. If it's a message that's coming out that that's streamlined right with what society is believing right now, then there's no need for free speech because that speech doesn't need to be protected. The, the protected speech is always going to be the countering voice or the countering idea. And, you know, when when you see like you had done before and and again, like I don't I don't blame you. I had the same idea of, you know, censoring that dissenting opinion because it may <laughs> cloud the judgment of everybody. Well, Really? Now you take a step back. It's like, no, like we need that. You need to protect that dissenting voice. You need to to protect that open and honest discussion. You know, you may not agree with somebody, but that doesn't mean that they aren't right. And, and th their voice needs to be heard. You need to be able to critique whatever, you know, society is going along with. Yeah. And if you're right, then you will have answers to the questions. And that was also what started swaying me more and more to think that there's something up here, that there's something more than our health is I have a very, very smart friend who's very lovely, who just kept on asking me questions that I could no longer find answers to, to support the narrative that I had been told. I ran out. And then that just backed me into a corner. When people are backed into a corner, if they're not willing to say I'm wrong, then um, they get angry. They get really, really angry. And uh, we're seeing that with our government. Mm -hmm. You know, look how angry Trudeau is right now. Look how divisive he's mean. Mm -hmm. I have never heard our government talk about criminals or like intravenous drug users or a violent offender, anyone the way that he has spoken about people that are scared for their health. Mm -hmm. He's speaking about them, labeling them as them, telling everyone to be mad at them with such disdain, mm -hmm. even to the point where he has basically said, you don't deserve healthcare. <laughs> yep. That's yep. the point where we've gotten. That's shocking to me. Like I've already hit my tipping points and I'm on like red alert for all this stuff. That is that is shocking. Us versus them. Yeah, that's scary language. Yeah, and it's it like you said, like the way that he speaks, the way that the messaging is being conveyed. I mean, all you have to do is look at the editorial sections of the papers for the past few months, right? And you can almost 
predict where policy is going to go because it's dictated by these editorial sections. Like, for example, I know that, uh, well, it would have been a few months ago now, but I believe it was the province of Quebec that dictated that you aren't allowed to even visit people in the hospital now without being double vaccinated, without having your vaccine status. Well, just yesterday, there was a BC um, ICU doctor who came out in an editorial section on the National Post echoing the same sentiment for British Columbia. And again, so I mean, I can't go see my sick grandfather or go visit a family member in there or whatever, unless I'm double vaccinated. And, you know, again, that's, that's one baby step towards well, you're not going to get healthcare without being double vaccinated. And I mean, if you look at editorial sections or comment sections, it's full of that opinion. And it's, you know, again, it's just swaying political opinion. And I mean, again, if you if you look back for the past few months, and you just looked at these editorial and comment sections, you could pretty much have the roadmap for the, the path that we've been on as far as how these lockdowns have progressed and what, what's been going on. It's, it's directly being swayed by, by these opinions. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's so many shades of gray in this. If this were a black and white issue, if 50% of the people died of this, mm-hmm. if um, there were no side effects, if people didn't have pre-existing conditions or um, different ages, um, then okay. Um, so this is real. I, I th- this is a real problem. Like the, the pandemic is real. Coronavirus is absolutely real. But to just whitewash the same thing and, and then mandate them. So we don't hear that in the news that people, many people have died from the vaccines. Many people have serious conditions now from the vaccine and they're not talking about that like I, I have a very good friend with a heart condition she is not exempt from the vaccine and she is very scared of her heart um I actually developed like a tick after my first one well that's not really considered either and there's oh, my bulldog's whining sorry <laughs> it's all good all good um it's not black and white there, there are reasons why people are scared. One is their health. Two is the transparency. Our government has not been transparent. We know this about reporting. We know this from what we're getting on the news. And the problem is people aren't asking questions. We're not asking further and further questions. So when you turn on the news and like you just hear like cases, cases, cases. Well, cases aren't as important as the people that are actually like ending up in hospital, right? Mm-hmm. So we also don't know when they say that people are dying of COVID, we don't know how many of them are vaxxed, how many of them are not vaxxed, when did they have it? Because a lot of people are having terrible reactions to the vaccine, ending up in the hospital dying but being reported as unvaccinated because they were just under that like 12 day part like the 12 day post shot so there's so many more follow-up questions that need to be asked Mm -hmm. that aren't being asked so we're not getting true information we're getting a lot of again terrible information on like the conspiracy side but it's really hard as like your average Canadian to make sense Mm -hmm. but it is enough for you to say I'm going to hit the pause button I'm just going to hit the pause button on this. Yeah, totally. And and like you said, and again, relating back to the censorship that's been going on here, I know that uh, 
well, it was actually a few months ago now, but there were two groups taken down on Facebook. Uh, one of them was about 70,000 members. The other was an, other one was about 125,000, I believe. So roughly 20,000, 200,000, sorry, users were wiped out of Facebook because these were vaccine injury discussion rooms. And the issue with that is so now, you know, you aren't even letting these people talk to each other, you know, and, you know, Zuckerberg coming into this, you know, in uh, in Senate hearings in the states basically said that, you know what, don't worry, we'll make sure that we we silence, you know, this dissenting opinion, this this vaccine injury stuff, we'll make sure that this doesn't pollute the general discussion, right. And, you know, he's, he's on tape saying that, and then, you know, voila, 200,000 users are wiped off of Facebook, right, because they're discussing and kind of commiserating over over what they're going through. So I mean, that, that alone is just cruel to not even allow those people to discuss what they're going through with each other. It, it, yeah. You know, like, <clears throat> again, like you said, like, if you kind of if you start to dig in this, and you're right, it's so many different shades of gray. But you know that you know that somewhere between all of this is, you know, roughly the truth, roughly what's going on, but you know that it's not on either end of the conspiracy end or the official yeah. story. So you're right. As an average Canadian, it is really hard to try to navigate through this minefield and, and get whatever information you can, because you're right. It's not forthcoming. It's not it's not easy to access. Um, it, it, I, I've never I've never experienced anything like this. I mean, I know you haven't either. Nobody else has. But it's just it, it's crazy. It, it's such a it's such an interesting time. And, and please, anything that I say, please look it up, go and look it up. And like, here, here's a great question um, about like censorship and like kicking people off. Who are the fact checkers? Go and look that up. We think fact checkers are a little team of scientists back there, like doing their data check. They are normal people that have just been hired does is they just look for common media news lines. They are not in a lab. Facebook just got busted that their hired fact checkers are from Johnson and Johnson. Okay. They're from the vaccine company. Okay. This is on mainstream media. You can look it up, look up Snopes, go look up who runs Snopes. These are not virologists and immunologists that are checking to make sure the data that you're getting is safe. Like it's meaningless. So even I had a, a, a nurse really um, pretty violently picking fun at people that like disagreed. And she had a, a meme that said real scientists are found in medical journals and not on YouTube. And I just popped in there and I just asked a question and I said, who funds medical journals? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, you know, it's a media publication like anything else. So it, it involves advertising. And then I pulled up like a long article about all the pharmaceutical companies that fund this because those studies take a lot of money. Yeah. It's, it's not a neutral body. Mm-hmm. Like ask more questions, please, please ask more questions because there, there's so many conflicts of interest. Like no wonder the people are distrustful. And just for me personally, I'm, I'm really trying to get on board with the science of the vaccines itself. I'm trying, I'm trying really hard. I want to, I want to be on that page because it's way easier. So I'm really trying, but every tiny step that the government takes at this point makes me more and more distrustful. If we just actually left this to scientists and doctors, we probably wouldn't have a problem. Mm -hmm. It's the government 
that is causing this. Even when we look at things like boosters right now, what the government is not even doing what the CDC and the FDA recommends. They're saying don't give people boosters unless they're elderly and ill and immunocompromised. What does the government do? Boosters for everybody. Yeah. Okay, so they're not health professionals. Why are they bypassing what the doctors are saying? Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I mean, again, like I kind of have the same sense. If the more, the harsher the clampdowns, you know, the mandates, the the passports, the the harsher the measures are, the more it turns me off to it. Like I, again, I'm with you. I want to get on board with a lot of this stuff. Like uh, I was actually, I was actually very um optimistic when i did see that the fda voted 16 to 2 uh mm-hmm. against the booster shots because like i said okay like they're looking at some of this data coming out of israel where you know this is a good step they're saying you know let's pump the brakes a little bit maybe we should rethink this but then like you said the government says ah screw that we're gonna do it anyway and mm-hmm. to me like again like that's where i was like oh really like this is i'm optimistic about this now we're starting to get you know a little bit of a uh, you know, just, just the brakes are being pushed a little bit on this thing. And, uh, but then nope, nope, just keep going ahead with it. And, uh, so another thing that I wanted to talk about, and this kind of relates to just objects of anxiety and, you know, cause everybody is anxious in this. I'm anxious now. I, I think my anxiety is pointed at something different than, than COVID or the vaccine. But, um, you know, when we were talking about mass formation and the idea of totalitarianism, um, you know, let, let's get into that a little bit more, because I think that's very yeah. interesting and not not only what we're seeing now, but kind of the lead up to it and and how how it seems like maybe people have been primed to to kind of accept this as we go along. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that this is what this has to do with. Um, I, I, you know, our, our doctors, our nurses, our scientists are looking out for people and their health. Absolutely. What the government is doing has everything to do with totalitarianism. Um, so initially in the beginning, um, they made these like huge estimates about um, what was about to happen. And maybe they just didn't know, right? Maybe they just didn't know. Like they, they said with Sweden, if the, if the Swedes did not do the lockdown and all these measures, that 80,000 people would die. Mm-hmm. When in actuality, um, the virus claims 6,000 people. Now, every one of those lives absolutely matters, but they misquoted that by a factor of 15. So they did that in Canada as well. I don't know what the projections were, but they, they caused mass hysteria, right? And then mm-hmm. everybody get locked up. So what was happening here is they started this process of mass formation, large scale mass formation. And to achieve mass formation, which is a psychological concept, a means of controlling people, four factors must be met, four conditions. One is uh, a lack of social bonds or connectedness. All right, so now everybody leave your church, leave your job, leave, you don't get to see grandma and grandpa, everyone go home. Mm-hmm. Step two is lack of meaning making. You know, a lot of people are defined by their jobs, and their friend circles, their church groups. So they've kind of lost like meaning. Now they're just at home. There was a lot of, a lot of depression, a lot of hopelessness at this time. And then number three, we have lots of free floating anxiety. Now, pre-pandemic, we already had that. Our culture wasn't really all that healthy. We have a like 
that's my job is to work with people that are not happy. We have people that are not happy in their marriages, not happy at work. They're way too busy. They are way too overworked. Um, like anxiety conditions are at an all time high. And this is before COVID. So they already had that. And now you've told them that um, there's a pandemic and now go home. So anxiety is like next level. People are just like vibrating. And now it's pointed at something specific too. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, lots of aggression. People are mad, right? They're really, really, they're mad. They're mad at anti-vaxxers. They're mad at the government. They're just, they're mad. Like you see people blowing up at everybody. Like you see that with like stores, like there's a lot of stores and like restaurants in my small town here that won't even um, be open um, because they don't want to deal with people because people are just so mean right now. So under these very specific conditions, you then create an object of anxiety, right? So the object of anxiety is the pandemic, rightfully so. This is a real thing to worry about. But now take all your aggression, your anxiety about everything else that's happening and just put it on the virus, right? So we saw that in our media. That's the only thing that the media would talk about. Not hurricanes, not um, elections, not like anything else that was happening in the world, at least for those first 12 months, only COVID. Well, now we have a solution for you. The solution is the vaccine. So this is another step to mass formation. You guys all have the same problem. It's a big one. It's worrying you. Now we have a solution. So what that creates is a huge willingness to go along with the strategy, no matter what. Everyone's like, finally, we have a solution. So this creates new meaning making. Mm-hmm. as well as solidarity. So everyone's been separated. That's been a huge um, ordeal for everyone. Like they're so alone. Well, now they have this new sense of purpose. We all need to follow the rules and we all need to get vaccines. Okay. Like it, it creates this sense of we, there's like a group collectivity, mm-hmm. this connectedness um, keeps you bound to the narrative, no matter how crazy it is. So we saw this whole time. You could go to Costco with a million people, but um, all my friends that had little shops where you could have like one person, they weren't allowed to open. Mm-hmm. You can uh, go on a plane with uh, hundreds of other people, but you may not drive your car across the border. Yeah, the Rules do not make sense. And in the beginning, I just thought they were doing their best under pressure. In the beginning, I just thought, okay, maybe they are dumb. Now we're at the point they're not dumb. Uh, Our governments are very, very smart. They have many experts on. So there's a lot of uh, strangeness to all the rules. And the more absurd the narrative, the more weird rituals that you need around it, the better these rules function as a group binder. Because they're, they're really weird. And we all have to do it. Well, now we have a really big sense of group mentality because we're all doing the same thing. Here's the thing. Many people's lives weren't all that awesome before COVID. That's not everyone. And that's where, you know, I I spoke to the jewels in COVID and a lot of people have discovered that they're, they're actually pretty happy now. Uh, A lot of them quit their job. We're seeing on mass, people are not going back to their jobs. They're not going back to the restaurant industry. They're not going back to the construction industry. They're dramatically changing their life, right? So COVID gave many 
purpose. A lot of people, this is going to sound crazy. A lot of people do not want things to go back to normal. Now, what mass formation does is, so we've created this like really big sense of purpose. We've created a solution to your problems. We've created group uh, cohesiveness. So what happens when someone tries to shatter that narrative? That's why we get so angry at them. They're trying to break the group. That's not allowed. You're not allowed to break the group because as soon as you break that narrative, it's, it's a collective hypnosis. As soon as you break that, well, now I'm going to have to worry about my real anxieties again, mm-hmm. where I finally got a break from it. I finally got a break. And now you're trying to like, it's, that's what I was saying. I want to believe that everything is good. Uh, Cause that's a much easier side to be on. It's much harder to like have your eyes held open right Mm -hmm. so in um (laughs) this is a tool of a totalitarian government and in a totalitarian government what you'll have is 30 percent are absolutely for it or maybe just fully hypnotized you got 30 percent that are just actually legitimately all on board Mm -hmm. then you have 40 percent who don't support it agree with it think it's crazy but they go along with it anyways, because it's easier. Okay. That's what most of us fall into. And then you have 30% of us that are totally against it, but we come from so many different backgrounds, right? We have in that 30% people that are vaccinated, people that are unvaccinated, people from different walks of life, religion. And so there's lots of different groups in there. Yeah. So order to shatter that narrative, you need those people to come together. You need them to come together. And I think that's the reason why we're all being blocked and shut down. Because if you watch the news, you think that everyone has the vaccine. Everyone agrees with this. No one, like I'm, I'm, this is just a thought. I don't know how truthful they're even being about the numbers. I I don't know. Maybe they are, but um, I'm skeptical at, at this point that they're even being truthful about how many people agree with them. I don't know. Well, isn't that interesting too? Because I, I have the same sense with the numbers. Again, I have, I have zero proof. I, I don't know if there is a way to prove that. But um, but the idea that 30%, you know, again, like you were saying, like if you're just watching the news, uh, the idea is here that everybody is on board. Everybody's together with this because again, anybody who, doesn't go along with it or speaks out against it, you know, they're, they're censored or silenced or just flat out ignored. I think that is a very important aspect that, that should really be highlighted because if people out there are feeling, you know, they're alone or there's nobody else who, who is, you know, who has some red flags going on right now, some alarm bells ringing, um, that could not be farther from the truth. It's just that you're never going to really hear about them (laughs) very often. So it is more of, you know, you do have to look at, you have to look for it. You have to seek it out. But um, I think that's, that's a really hopeful aspect to look at too, is that, you know, there are 30%, you know, in general who are, who are kind of seeing through this stuff and who are looking more at the broader picture of what the response has been. Not so much, again, we aren't talking about vaccines. We aren't talking about, about COVID itself. We're talking about the response and the, the, the government, you know, overreach in, in reacting to this. And so again, with those 40%, I think it's, it's important to just kind of keep chipping away, keep chipping away, trying to 
break, like you had called that, that hypnosis, just, just to say like, Hey, look, like, have you considered this or ask them a question about that? Like, like happened to you when you just ran out of answers to certain questions, it was like, Oh shoot. Like there is some digging that I have to do here. And, but I think that's, I think ultimately that's, you know, if you look at the numbers as 70% to 30%, that sounds pretty daunting, but the idea that there are, there are a lot of people in that middle ground and there are a lot more people who, who are hesitant at this government response. I think that's a hopeful message. I think it's one that, you know, if, if you do fall into this 30% who, who maybe, you know, are looking at things with a little bit wider eyes and a bit of a wider lens, it's really important to keep speaking about it and trying to connect. Because again, like, like in talking to you or, you know, I I've shared this um, with you and a few other people personally, but, you know, since kind of digging into this aspect of society and, and looking more at the government's response to COVID, like podcast download numbers overall have gone down, which, you know, at, at first response, I was like, oh, shoot, like maybe people don't want to hear about this. But then mm-hmm. recently, the responses, like the personal responses, the emails, the messages, all that stuff has gone up probably 400%, which, which leads me to believe that there's, you know, that 30%, like, it's meaningful. It's meaningful to make those connections, to understand that you're not alone, to, to really get that, that people are thinking along the same line as you. And it's, I do think that it comes down to that, that personal level, because again, we're a minority on overall, but, but there's a lot more of us than we may realize. And I think, I think it's important to reach out, to make those connections and to start again, like you said, we've got to get a unified message. And, in going back to the theme of Malcolm Gladwell's tipping point, like the, the one part that in reading that after talking to you, I uh, is trying to find a stickiness factor of, of finding a way to actually get that message to stick. And that's, that's kind of, you know, that that's a challenge of everything, but it's something that again, it, it's, it's important to just kind of come together, like you said, to, to be unified in our messaging. Yeah. And like, again, my tipping point was when I had to start thinking about my kids. So I went out and got mine, but then with the kids and that's when I started looking. Now I live in a small town that has zero COVID. We've never had it. Like it's not here. And I live on on an Island. I boat back and forth, like very isolated, treat it seriously. I follow the rules. Um, I think it's perfectly reasonable to say, I'm not even saying I will never do this. I I am not pro or anti-vaccine. I am on the side where I'm like, more and more information is coming out right now. That's not looking that good. Mm -hmm. I'm going to wait. I think it's perfectly reasonable for me to wait right now. I'm not putting anyone at harm. And honestly, if it means me um, homeschooling the kids, I'm a terrible homeschooler, by the way, but like, I, I will do that because I think it's a very rational decision at this point, considering my circumstance that I wait and just see what other information is coming out because when the government says there are no long-term side, there's no problem. There are no adverse side effects. That is a lie. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the most truthful thing that someone can say is, I don't know. They're not saying that they're, they're not saying, I don't know. They're saying it with conviction. And what's tricky about all these adverse reactions is it's very hard to prove that it's from a vaccine you have to control for conditions and this is what has me worried about the mandates and the push why isn't 70 percent of canadians vaccinated enough why their their actual number right now is 90 
Mm-hmm. which I think is completely unrealistic. And also, I don't even think it's 90. I think it's 100. I think it's 100% compliance. And here's one of those questions that really shattered me. When do we vaccinate all of um, Afghanistan? When do we vaccinate all of Africa? Mm-hmm. That day's not coming. So everyone that is panicking do these things because they want things to go back to normal. I'm this is just a prediction. I don't think they are. No, I don't think they're going back to normal. So why the push? Why the push? Like we're, we're never back. Like Africa's at 3%. I I think that the, the official, um, the official outlook for Africa is that they don't believe, or they they're hopeful to reach 50% by 2025. Hopeful. And again, like you said, like this is a this is a global phenomenon. You know, it happens with the cold and the flu every year. It goes around the world, it mutates and it comes back and hits us every year. Right. And like you said, like COVID zero, you know, I don't think and again, I'm not a scientist, like take this with a grain of salt, but I don't think COVID zero is a realistic goal anymore. But I think that you're correct in saying that the, the you know, the goalposts originally was 70 percent when when we had 70 percent vaccinated status among those eligible uh, we mm-hmm. would we would reopen. That would be considered herd immunity. Um, mm-hmm. Then it was moved to eighty percent. Now they're talking ninety percent. And you're right. The the, the end goal is one hundred percent compliance. I I don't doubt that at all. Um, mm-hmm. It's just you're right. When uh, things like that to me alone should should kind of raise some question marks. Like hold on, like these constantly shifting goalposts. Like something something isn't right here there there should be again just a few more questions that are asked and that's that's all it really comes down to but to me yeah once you start asking those questions i i think it does start to open people's eyes to saying like oh yeah you know what you're right this this response has been a little bit overhanded and uh i don't really know where they're going with this it yeah yeah there's a lot of cracks that are appearing in the plan when we look at israel when like we're losing the efficacy. I said that wrong. We're, like it's not at it's not at ninety nine percent anymore. Like it's getting less and less effective. Mm-hmm. We're still seeing it spread. So we're seeing a lot of cracks. We're seeing a lot of issues. Um, like more questions too, and in regards to like additional doses too. Um, here's a question: Like how many more days? does that give you protection from? Because Israel is finding 12 days. Mm -hmm. So that booster gives you another just 12 extra days. Or when they say it's um, more, you'll get less sick or you'll spread it less. Well, how much less? Mm 2%, 50%, 100%? Or is the answer we don't know? Mm -hmm. We actually just don't know. So there's just a lot of questions that that are hovering um, that, yeah, they just give me pause. Yeah. And, and I just wanted to hit back on one thing that you had said um, regarding possible side effects, because I've had, I've had articles shared with me because again, I, I raised that question too. Like, how do we know there are no long-term side effects for me personally? Like I'm not as terrified for myself. It's now more that these, these mandates are being directed at kids, right? I have four kids. I have right now it's cleared for and mandated for 12 and up. Um, but I would expect within the next six weeks for it to be mandated for five to 11. And now I have two kids that fall into that age range. Um, that's again, where my, where my big fear is because uh, it, there is no way to speed up time. Like, and again, the only responsible answer to, are there any long-term side effects is I don't know, but that is not what mm-hmm. is being shared. I, every time that I've asked this question to people 
online, I get shared the exact same article that says all signs point to there being no long-term side effects. Well, essentially what that says is we don't know. I mean, all signs may point to something, but we don't know. And that should be the only actual response to this. And that's, again, when it comes to kids, that's, that's what starts to raise questions for me. You cannot speed up the timeline. There's no way to know the, there's no substitute for time. Well, and when you're looking at the entire world's population being vaccinated, I expected to see a ton of adverse reactions. I would Mm -hmm. expect to see death. I would, I would expect to see that, Um, you, you know, numbers and percentages just don't make me feel all that comfortable as a parent. And we're not talking about headaches. We're talking about heart conditions. Now the heart, the lungs and the brain, when they get injured, it, they, you can, you can heal from an acute condition like myocarditis. You can go to the hospital, you can get better, you come out, but you don't get new heart cells. You don't get new lung cells. What ends up happening is you end up with a scar. So that's kind of lightly like, Oh, it's just a heart condition. It's not a big deal. My personal, I like, I'm not a doctor, but I don't want my kids to have a compromised heart. Even if it's a small risk, even if it's really tiny, that's enough to cause me concern. Um, They are young and healthy. We know, we know that this virus does not affect kids. So if the only reason is to prevent spread for other people, I, I apologize, but there is no, um, I wouldn't put my kids at risk for anybody else. I wouldn't put them at risk to save a hundred people. I would, I would do that for myself, but I would never put them in harm's way, even if it's a small chance. And with mandatory vaccines, like we've been through many different pandemics. Um, there's not one size fits all. Um, procedure. So in the Spanish flu, when we mandated the vaccines, after 27 people died, we stopped. Mm-hmm. Well, we're in the tens of thousands just in the US alone. And I don't think there's a number where we stop. So if you want to share with me all the COVID cases on CBC, great. Can you also share how many people are dying? Mm-hmm. Because if you're, I know why you don't want to do that, but that is important information. If like they, the leaders keep going on the news now saying the time for education is over. <laughs> that, that's it. No that's more sympathy an, for you. you. I'm like, you haven't educated us at all. You've only yeah, told yeah. us it's good. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And that's, that's an it. explicit statement by them too, is that yeah. the, the time for, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy to me. And the other thing that, that I wanted to touch on too, and again, like this isn't an attack on vaccines. I know you're not attacking it either, mm-hmm. but it's, you have to analyze for a risk benefit scenario. And that, that isn't, that isn't across humanity in general. You know, you have to break that down by age groups. And that's specifically when it comes to COVID, because you can see the data that, you know, a vast majority, I believe it's over 80% of deaths have been in the 80 plus range with multiple comorbidities. So if you are in a, a targeted age range for COVID, like absolutely get vaccinated, like get, do this like and it makes sense you know again like if i'm if i were facing sure death and there was some wild experimental treatment that was coming at me like i'm taking that because the risk still outweighs the or sorry the reward of that still outweighs the risk that i'm facing in the real world with covid but like Mm -hmm. you had said thank god that this this virus 
doesn't seem to affect kids in anywhere near the same numbers. They seem to handle it very well. Mm. I mean, I've, and, and so that's where you have to really start to take into account that risk benefit scenario, that, that calculation that would go into kids, because are they really at that grade of a risk from COVID or are we willing to subject them to possible long-term side effects from this shot? Like that, that to me, that's the argument. And it doesn't make any sense from a moral standpoint that we would ever place the youngest in our generation in direct line of fire to protect the oldest from a moral standpoint. And from looking at any historical civilization, when would they sacrifice the youngest amongst them just to protect the oldest? It, it does not make sense. And I share the same sentiment that you did where, you know, if it's, if it's me, if, if, I'm, if I'm facing this risk to save 100 people, even 10 people, whatever it is, I'll, I'll face that risk. But I'm not mm-hmm. placing my kids. I'm not placing that risk on my kids to save anybody. Mm-mm. So I, no. ah. and, and if this is only about our health and we're in a health crisis and we're running out of beds, why are we willing to fire tens of thousands of nurses and doctors over this? Yep. Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. Either we're in a pandemic and we need all hands on deck or we're willing to let these people who have already faced the last 18 months face to face with this virus without a vaccine or we're, we're willing to fire them. It... I'm going to give you my prediction at the end of the podcast <laughs> about the hospital. Yeah. Um, maybe um, let's let's look at some of these tipping points, some of these. Uh, know too that everything that we're talking about i only go to government websites this information is not from youtube it's not from tiktok it's not from some like random website i've never heard about it's not from telegram it's from VAERS, the cdc from the government of canada um i i'm as skeptical of the narrative as i am from the other side so this is where just like asking questions is really really important um, the article that I wrote, I just said my tipping point was when there was no consent required for children. Um, and everyone's going to have a different tipping point. And what I would just like to ask other Canadians is if you're not tipped yet, if you're not worried yet, when will you be worried? I'm just wondering how deep like this hypnosis goes. Yeah. So one, we have our leaders taking away medical freedom, which is a big deal, free will, choice for all Canadians to go to non-essential, and I'm pretty sure essential events and locations soon, with very little room for medical exemption. Previous infection or religious beliefs, that's step one. Um, two, when it's that children don't need parental involvement to receive a vaccine. Will it be when the BC government quietly pulls back that age of 12 to no required age for consent? Um, these have already happened, by the way. Will it be when Saskatchewan um, quietly enacts the Emergency Act, which under which allows a government to do anything? They can go into your homes without warrant. They can take you, your property or anything it desires. Can relocate you, they can forcefully vaccinate you, they can do anything they want essentially under this act. And I have sources to back all of this up. Will it be when the news channels only relay one narrative, one story, and anything even questioning it is banned from the TV and internet? 
no discussion of alternative opinions, theories, remedies, treatments. Like, are we sure there's like, there's nothing else? There's only the vaccine is the only way that we can deal with this. Um, will it be when thousands of doctors and nurses and scientists stand up to simply ask questions about the current protocols and are immediately discredited, smeared, fired from their lifelong professions? Like these people have nothing to gain and everything to lose. Think how long it takes to become a doctor and they're willing to speak out. Like, I, I don't think these people are, are crazy. Um, will it be when millions of people around the world peacefully protest? If you're not looking, if you're just watching the CBC, are you even aware that they are everywhere? Some countries every single day, some weekly, there are thousands of them. And some of them are protesting peacefully. And like in Australia, for example, people are getting beaten and pepper sprayed and thrown in prison for protesting. Police are going to people's houses and um, threatening them if they even like talk on social media about protesting. Well, and the scary thing about that in Australia is that that those house arrests and those house visits regarding planning anything on social media, those started a year ago, right? So uh, this was this was way before they really started to ramp up their their escalation and their response. And I just wanted to add in one more thing to as far as um, childhood consent, because in British Columbia by the BC Health Authority, you can look this up on BC Health Authority's website, uh, look up what the term is mature minor consent and what that says. So I know that for you, they're removing that age or dropping it. But in BC, we have no minimum age. Uh, by the term mature minor consent, it is, it is considered and up to the administer of the of the vaccine or of the medical procedure to determine whether or not that child is mature enough to make that decision, whether they understand the risk associated with it. It even says very specifically that there is no minimum age to that. So, you know, by that standard, a two or a three-year-old in uh, preschool, if they're deemed mature enough by the administer of the vaccine, that falls under mature minor consent. They can receive it without their parent ever knowing anything. And, you know, again, like with you, I just had to sign a a consent form for them to go on their, their walk for national reconciliation day yesterday. Yeah. And, you know, I, I had to sign a waiver for them to walk around the perimeter of the school, but I, I have no say when it comes to this. And that, that to me is, is mind boggling and should be a tipping point to just about anybody to me. That to me tells me that the state, that the province owns the kids, not the parents anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I won't even go through the rest of the steps. Like they are horrendous. Like both the premiers of Ontario and Alberta have like offered incentives for snitching, paid incentives for snitching on, on your neighbors who are unvaccinated or who, who are gathering, snitching. Like here's the problem. So we look at Australia. This is a, a recent example. This is happening right now. This, that's the same kind of country at us mm -hmm. yet we're not worried we're not it's getting quite violent there they shut the internet off for three days to stop the spreading of communication like will that worry you in canada if all of a sudden we start figuring things out and they shut the internet off like we have to look at history and i don't know why as canadians like we look at the terrible things that have been done in history 
from other countries and we think, yes, but that could never be us. What is so different about us? Do, are we not lied to anymore? Are there not evil people out there anymore? Are we not trying to be controlled? Like really what's, why couldn't it? Mm-hmm. Why couldn't we see atrocities all the time? We still see genocide in some countries. What, it, what really is so different? So we actually, we cannot forget history. And this is where a lot of people drop out of the conversation because they're like, I don't want to hear this. We're so different. This could never happen. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I don't, I don't even care about the vaccines anymore. If you drop all the measures, I will just jump on board with it. Like it's the measures that tell me that this is not about my health. Mm-hmm. And when we look at the government's deep connection with China. When we look at this electronic passport system, which is the same thing that communist China has, they control everyone with a QR code. With a click of a button, you get a green light or a red light. So one day you don't do something that the government doesn't like, you can't go buy food that day. You can't leave the country. It is so easy. Now, when I first heard of this, I was like, yeah, well, you know, they can already track us on our phones anyways. Like our bank accounts are digital. What's the difference? I don't know. I just, I I would just be very curious about that. We all have a code that tells us that we can or cannot do something. Are they going to put our driver's license on it? That, That sounds pretty convenient. Might as well put our driver's license on there. It's probably also convenient if we put our bank accounts on on there as well. Um, Now, if you come from the belief that your government wants what's best for you, and this is a good system, I'm not saying this is sinister, because maybe this is just really convenient. This is a really easy way for people to just to go about their business to control a pandemic, sure. How, but how easy would it be if someone was not a kind of benevolent person? If all of a sudden they can control everyone with the click of a button or what happens when we change governments and someone gets voted in, you don't like, (laughs) we have a system where you're like canceled, you're canceled. You don't get to talk. You don't get to shop. You don't get to work. You don't get to travel. Um, I don't know about you, but I see a huge potential for problems. And if that's your tipping point, it's kind of too late. Once we get to that point, it's too late, I think. Mm -hmm. And one of these other tipping points has to be your alarm at one point to at least pause, ask what, like our society is so complacent. I don't think there's anything that they could do to us right now that would rattle most people because we're under that mass hypnosis, that mass formation, like what would shock you? Would it shock you if they started arresting unvaccinated people? Would it shock you if they started taking the kids away who belong to unvaccinated parents? Would it shock you when the military comes in? And here's my prediction with the hospitals. If we need those nurses, we need Mm -hmm. them so badly. Now, if they force them out, they have to bring the military in. If the military is in, well, now we have a full totalitarian government. If the military is in, 
that is a big red flag. When we have perfectly capable nurses and doctors to handle everything that you have just pushed out, that is very scary. That's an interesting concept. I had, I had never considered to be honest that, uh, yeah, that's pretty frightening. And again, like, like I know we had talked about at the beginning and I think we both still share this opinion of, of not going down too many, you know, what ifs or next steps, but you know, I agree. Like when we're so close to some of these things, like it's, you know, it's, um, it's also, it's beneficial to just, just be mindful of where stuff like this could go because to me personally, I had never considered that idea of substituting the nurses with a military response to, to what's going on. Uh, I always just assumed that as soon as the, the nurses who weren't vaccinated stepped aside, it would just be, oh, well, now we're really overrun and it would be shifting more blame to the unvaccinated. And again, pushing this narrative of a, of, um, a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And, you know, it's, um, it's just crazy to me. To me, and again, like it comes down to a root level and we've touched on it frequently throughout this podcast is that that idea of dehumanization and us versus them. And again, it's being pushed and promoted by our prime minister. Like I've, I've never heard discussions like that ever from the prime minister's office. Um, but that's, you know, daily, weekly now. We heard it over the five week election cycle nearly every second day that there was something along the lines of, you know, do you want to you don't want to have to be flying next to an unvaccinated person. Like we'll make sure that they don't, they aren't allowed on planes. They aren't allowed, you know, to be crowding you or putting your health at risk. And it's, again, it's us versus them. It's dehumanizing. And like you said, like, you know, I was very put off at the very beginning or, you know, throughout different stages of this, when people would relate it to things that happened, for example, in the 20th century in Europe, from the, the rise of Nazism in Germany to the rise of communism in the USSR. Like I was very put off by that messaging. And I was like, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It felt, it felt insensitive. It felt hyperbolic. It, it felt mm-hmm. disgusting to me. And then privileged. Yeah. 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 I, I shared the exact same opinions of you, but now kind of the farther that we step down this. And again, like that, that book that I had read a few weeks ago, that chapter from, they thought they were free by Milton Mayer, that, that book put a lot of things into perspective for me because it wasn't analyzing it from a political standpoint. It wasn't analyzing it from any kind of the regime itself. It was analyzing it from the everyday person, from 10 random German citizens who saw the rise of this and how complacency more than anything contributed to it from just, just not saying anything from just going again, like you had said, whatever the easiest path is like that, that's how people are generally going to go the path of least resistance. And that's all that it takes for something like this to happen. And I think that's something to, Mm -hmm. to be important to keep in mind. And again, like you said, if we aren't going to learn from history, then, then what is the point? You know, if, if people get called or labeled hyperbolic or alarmist every time that they try to make a connection to something that we've already been through and we've already learned the hard way as a human race, then, then why bother keeping it around? You know, like, it's just it's frustrating to me it's um it's crazy and they're having a a very hard time controlling people right now so again you watch the news you think everybody's on board that's not what's happening there are there are millions of people against this and causing lots of problems they're causing lots of problems they're protesting they're talking they don't like it so the question really is for everyone that's like just going along with the narrative because they want things to go back to normal why would they? Why, why would they? Once, once they have the system, 
where you are so beaten down, where they know how to control you, manipulate you, censor you, track you. And now it's as simple as one click of a button on your code. Why would they let that go? Mm-hmm. Because the world's biggest problem is there's so many of us, right? Um, how, and as the world gets even bigger, wouldn't it make sense that they need a way to control people? And maybe that's not sinister. Maybe that's just realistic. Maybe it's realistic that they actually just need a system to control people. Maybe they are looking at China's model and thinking like, wow, like there is actually a lot of, um, like there's a flow to society. Maybe this is actually good for us. Maybe there's not like a a sinister agenda behind this. I'm not going to say I know. I don't know. Um, There's just a lot of questions that need to be answered and we're sweeping them under the table because we just want to be comfortable because we just want this over with. And again, there, there are a lot of people that don't want things going back to normal. We like being like the rule follower. We're mm-hmm. like, we're doing a very good job following the rules and we're protecting other people. Um, so like the Vax Pass though, if we know that, okay, so it, we know that the vaccine lessens symptoms, keeps people out of hospitals, but you can still get COVID, you can still spread COVID. So what's the difference if I have a Vax Pass or not? So I can go to a restaurant, but I can still get it and I can still spread it. Like, what do you care if I have the pass or not? Because whether I'm vaxxed or unvaxxed, I can still get it and I can still spread it. Yeah. If you couldn't, then the pass maybe makes sense, right? It probably makes sense if everyone here is actually immune and you can't spread it. Sure. Fill up the bars with people. Mm -hmm. Um, But the people that are in the hospital right now, um, they are vaccinated. There's mixed numbers. We're seeing some hospitals with unvaccinated or they've gotten their double shot and it's like 12 days post, not 14 days post. Um, so why? Why? The Vax Pass doesn't protect you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change anything. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I know the argument to that is that, well, it is it is fractionally better. It is going to provide some benefit. But at the baseline... And to me, like, that's just one thing that should be important to anybody who who is fully vaccinated going along with this is it can give you a a, a false sense of security when it comes to that stuff, right? Like, yeah. you know, they're seeing it with with big unmasked events, um, more particularly in the States, but where, you know, yeah, you'll have college students, they're partying with their double vaxxed and yeah. they're all getting sick. They're getting yeah. sick. And then not only that, but then they're able to pass it along to other people who aren't. So, you know, I, I'm not again, this isn't an attack on the vaccines, but it's just something that 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 false sense of security could actually be more dangerous in the long run. Because, I mean, me, myself, I've gotten eight or nine COVID tests now. I can't recall. Like, I, I take it seriously. Like, I, I get tested. I, I, I'll self-isolate. Like, I've I'm again, like I'm 99 percent sure that I had it in February of 2020. The, the, the timeline lines up. It's right before it was about two weeks before uh, the first British Columbia lockdown took place because we started to see a spike in cases. And then I got sick for about nine or 10 days, four really bad days uh, for my kids. It was maybe 30 hours of, of cold symptoms. Like the, the timelines all lined up to what we were seeing in that alpha variant. Right. So I'm uh, I'm fairly sure that I had it. And then I've had uh, personally three confirmed um, like face-to-face interactions with people who were COVID positive. They found out later later that day they just didn't self-isolate but they had their tests they found out later that day and i had in in two cases i had been driving around and working with them without masks for eight hours that day 
And, um, you know, I, I didn't get it. I came back, I self-isolated, tested negative and went back along with my life. But, you know, that, that just kind of furthers my, my opinion that I did have it and that that natural immunity has been holding up fairly well. But um, again, it's just that false sense of security with things. Like it's, when you start to think about it that way, it's, uh, it doesn't make a hundred percent sense. And, and that's really what, what it comes down to, I think, is as you start to peel back these layers and ask a few more questions, you start to, you start to really just uncover more questions, <laughs> which then it, you, you keep digging. Yeah. I mean, and that's the shift, right? The shift is from, you know what, this doesn't make any sense but I trust them. So I'm going to go along with it because it's easier, right? That that's mass formation, right? I trust you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the shift is, no, this doesn't make any sense. I'm going to start to think about this. I'm going to start to think about this because what they're trying to get you to not think about this. So also like there's a good distinction there in, in mass formation, like dictatorships use this and totalitarian governments use this. The difference between those two and, and why people aren't really associating with this. So they're thinking totalitarianism and they're thinking um, communism and China. And they're like, like my dad, I fight with him all the time, right? Canada is so far off from China. Well, China is a little bit different, right? So in a dictatorship, the reason that people follow the leader is because they're afraid of them. That's the only reason. We're just afraid of the leader. Like if we don't listen, they will kill us. In totalitarianism, um, what they do is they find a fear for everyone to associate with. So in with the Nazis, it was you guys should be afraid of the Jews, right? Mm-hmm. They are causing it, they are the reason for all your problems over there. So you create a mass enemy. Right now, we're it's the unvaccinated or it's COVID, right? Here's our, our mass enemy. And the leader is actually quite nice in the beginning. The Nazis in the beginning were quite nice. They were quite nice until eventually they did mass formation so well that they had total control over the people and then they switched. What's happening in our government right now? We had a lot of compassion. We had a lot of nice talking for a long time. They're all getting pretty angry. I'm not saying that's what it is. I, I see a lot of um, polarities. I, I see a, a lot of the same right now. They're quite angry, and they're the more pushback there is, the angrier and angry. Like, are we really a disappointing country that's not following the rules? No, most of us have done exactly what you told us, and we've hit the targets that they originally posted. <laughs> we've, hit <the> <laughs> we've hit the targets. Yeah, is that worth this disdain? And when the hospitals are struggling, is that? our fault or is it the government for firing all the nurses and doctors Mm -hmm. well that's it and i mean i think that the more that this goes on kind of the more that that mask slips and you start to see holes right and again i think that's why it's important you know it's important to kind of question because you do start to see that see that mask slip a little bit from you know trudeau again like you talked about the elected officials and and unelected officials which again is a topic that we didn't even touch on but um you know you are starting to see that slip a little bit and i think that uh, i <laughs> i think that just adds more question marks and adds more red flags to me personally and i i think it will to other people as well but it's uh i think that's why it's important to just kind of band together and to keep to keep speaking about this stuff, you know, it's not, uh, 
you don't have to go down some crazy dark rabbit hole. It's just just pointing out what is happening, what has happened, and some of the inconsistencies. And I, I think that's all it really takes. Again, for me, it was just once the mandates kicked in for you it was when they eliminated the age of consent to your your children. And I think I think a lot of people, especially that 40 percent you spoke about, will have a tipping point. And I think we're getting closer to that because the, a lot of these points that I think would be hard lines in the sand for most Canadians are kind of coming up and uh, we'll see. Yeah, I think people just really need to ask themselves that without even going down their rabbit hole of the the what ifs or conspiracies, just what would worry you at this point? What, what would worry you? And I saw this quote today. It said, if you can question it, it's science. If you can't, it's propaganda. Mm-hmm. Yep. And when you're silencing any question or any questioner, that, yeah, it becomes pretty clear. Yeah. Like if we get silenced for this, this is just a whole podcast of questions. Then we're going to have to go on Telegram or Rumble. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Then, then you really get exposed to some crazies, right? So uh, it's just, it's, it's wild. It's wild to me. They even banned the word, the hashtag natural immunity. That's banned on Instagram now. It's sensitive content. Oh, that's why? a real thing. We do know that, right? Like, oh, I know it's it's proven it's proven useful to humanity for the past I don't know thousands of years. Maybe I shouldn't have even mentioned my story then, because then this, there's no way this thing is getting anywhere. Oh shoot! No, <laughs> you just said that word. Oh shit! Oh well. Um. Yeah. Well, I guess we can kind of wrap that up. I think I think that's a good good way to close it off. And I, I really appreciate you you taking the time this afternoon to to speak with me and to speak with the audience. And I'm again like I'm hoping that that stuff like this just kind of wakes people up, you know, like share it with share it with whoever you think maybe especially on the fence where it's just like people are starting to see cracks here and there. And uh, just let them know, like, it's important to it's important to keep talking, I think, is the the ultimate kind of lesson here is to to keep talking, keep chipping away and to just, again, let people know that they're not alone. Anybody else who is feeling this way and is questioning things, because, you know, if you're just watching the news, you're just watching the the media there, like you're going to feel like you're alone, like there's nobody else standing with you. I mean, I can say personally, uh, two weeks ago in in downtown Vancouver, I mean, we had a protest of probably. 7,000 people that I was at. And I was talking to, to a couple of friends uh, right in BC, right in the, in the Fraser Valley. And they had no idea that it went on. And they're, you know, within no idea they're within two hours. And it's like, you know, this stuff, like you alluded to in Brazil and all the way around the world, some of them are happening daily, weekly, whatever it is. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people like that. So I think, I think that's something to keep in mind. Yeah. Every province in Canada right now, we're seeing huge, huge numbers there like there's people with you and yeah it's not about becoming like woke to the truth like i can't tell you what the truth is it's like can you just become awake to your own thing like to critical thinking to to thought-provoking questions Mm -hmm. instead of just being completely complacent and just trusting that everything is being done for your best interest just take a pause and just like watch what's already happened watch what's happening right now and just ask yourself if there is reason to worry or to get involved in another way yeah well thank you very much i think that was really well said and um yeah again i really appreciate having you on here and 
we'll see what kind of feedback this gets because <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little bit nervous, but <laughs> me too. We're gonna be canceled. <laughs> we'll see. Whatever. It uh yeah, but but thank you very much and uh yeah, have a great day. Okay, thank you, Zach. You too. <laughs> okay. All right, everyone, that's it for today. I hope you found some value in this week's episode. If you did and are interested in more content like this, please rate, review, subscribe, and recommend the podcast to a friend. I really appreciate all the feedback you've given me to this point and look forward to hearing from you again. As always, the podcast page is The Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Facebook, at Jacket Plaid on Twitter, and at Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Instagram. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for the continued support and especially to those of you who reach out weekly with comments on each episode. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you all again soon.